Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I'm Mark Antony, and this is Demolition News Radio, episode 165. In this episode, The Thinking Man's Digger Driver. This podcast is sponsored by WillowHire.com, the UK's leader in dust suppression equipment. Kick the dust into touch with our new, bigger and better all-in-one dust suppression units for hire. Call Willow on 01582 840045. How's this for Meta? The person we're about to feature is an avid listener to our podcast and to the new Content with Media podcast hosted by our friend Peter Haddock. In fact, when I went to see him on site, he'd just finished listening to our Japanese adventure show from last year. And now, the man in question is a guest on our show. But this isn't a fan feature. Nigel Williams is a CPCS blue card carrying plant operator. He's self-employed. And he's self-funded. And so he sees firsthand the impact of technology, legislation and changes within the industry training regime. As you will hear over the course of the show, Nigel is articulate and passionate about the industry in which he works. In fact, what you're about to hear is a largely unedited conversation, with just a few coughs and sneezes removed. This show was also recorded on site, so there is some background noise. But that doesn't detract from some really insightful discussions that cover a whole host of topics, including GPS and driver aids, training, the loss of experienced operators to retirement, skill shortages and MVQ poverty, among other things. So, let's get on with the show. So, the main reason we're here, obviously, is you've been very sort of interactive with, with our podcast and, and with Peter Haddock's podcast. And one of the points that you raised was whether we might, we've already covered this to a degree, but whether we might ultimately need a qualification for GPS savvy operators. Yes. Do you think that's likely? Yes, 100%. We're, we're, we're already seeing that now. If you look at some of the job adverts coming out, um, some of the, even some of the agencies advertising there on the internet, you'll see from Job Rapido, etc., must have GPS experience or must, must, be, uh, must be competent with GPS, must have experience. You're already seeing it now because the demand is already there now. And that's where I say to people, you know, if you've got the opportunity, get in it, learn it, do something with it. Um, luckily, you've got companies like Flannery, they, they have um, simulators and such. If it's possible, get there, do a training day, learn something about it. If there's a machine close by, talk to the operator, try and get a twist in it at lunchtime. But yeah, there is definitely a, a, there's already a push towards needing a competent GPS compliant operator force. I think I know the answer to this, but is there a danger that that's just another way for the training companies to earn a few quid? Absolutely. That's the, but that's the nature of the beast. Where you, where you create, where you create a demand, somebody has to supply and nobody's going to supply it for free. But that's where it has to be managed. It has to be rolled out in accordance with some form of accreditation body that says that this must be a supplement and not a standalone qualification that costs a fortune. You are a self-employed, self-funded operator. That's correct. So I, I guess you would feel that perhaps more than, than most. You know, somebody suddenly decided you needed an extra card for GPS. That's going straight out of your back pocket, isn't it? Indeed it is. And this is where this is where you have to you know, you have to make the decision as to whether it's lucrative enough to take the qualification. 
does it make me enough money? Is it worthwhile doing? Because there are indeed still machines out there without GPS. There are whole companies that, that don't run GPS on machines. You can still earn a wage with them. And this is where you have to say, well, is there enough money in it for me? Is it worthwhile? You know, is my future going to be any better off? Because you get on some of those big highways, infrastructure projects and civil engineering projects, and you can be a long way from home and only earning a little bit more. And what's the point? You, you, either you paid or you were lucky enough and the company paid, but is it worth that little bit extra money to be away from home if you need to, or to have to travel that bit further because they need a GPS operator and they're gonna pay 50 pence an hour more? Is there, you know, does the extra rate cover the cost of, of training? And this is where it has to be rolled out carefully and with, with input from the industry if they're going to go down the road of accreditation. We're, we're talking about GPS, but obviously I mean, we've, there's, a, there's a whole gamut of technology there. Oh, yeah. How does all that technology impact you as, as an operator? Does it make your life better or worse, or um, you're a better operator? You'll get, um, you'll find sometimes, having had, having had the, the luxury of having GPS on a machine in the past, um, it's a double-edged sword because sometimes you'll have people who understand what the GPS can and can't do and some people will just think it's they'll just think it does everything they'll think you know they'll think it's the next best thing to an espresso machine in the cab for you and very often that's not the case it's it's a tool it's an, it's just another tool in your toolbox um, yes the driver aids are good but they all have their limitations um, GPS, for example, you get too close to trees. You know, too get too close to trees and it th throws the signal out of whack. You can be two, three, or four hundred mil out. Somebody comes along, they move the base station, they move datums. These things can throw the machinery out. So you still need to you still need to be good at what you do, even though you have driver aids. They're still only aids to the driver. The the fact that you describe it driver aids, I think that's where we've missed a trick, is that's what they are. You know, mm. you, you've still got to know your onions to, to actually get the best out of those things, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. You, it, there's no, there isn't any, um, there isn't any magic fix-all that you can bolt onto a machine to make a bad driver good. You can give him something to make him better, but you can't make a good driver out of a bad driver. You can give him, you can give him something extra to help him, you know, say for example, you've got a driver who uh, you've got him on footings, but he's not that great. GPS machine controllers, it, it's perfect. It helps him keep line and level all the way through. No overdig, no underdig. Keeps the corners fairly tidy. It will help him. But once you get him trained to a standard with the GPS, then you should be able to actually take the GPS away from him and he'll be able to offset his pins and carry on as without as with as though he doesn't have GPS because he'll be able to understand exactly what he's doing although some people say well if or if he doesn't really understand what he's doing what on earth is he doing in the cab in the start but we're up against it they keep telling me we can't find good operators and there's such a shortage of, of, of good operators well how are we going to where, where are we going to find them 
everybody's got this problem. We have to, we have to create the next generation. And we're not going to create them by not training them. We're not going to create the next generation by not helping them when they need it, not giving them driver aids to help them do what they do, what they do for a living. Strangely, there is an argument, I guess, that those driver aids are perhaps a barrier to entry. You know, I think in, in years gone by, construction and demolition has called upon, in the nicest possible way, you know, people that aren't particularly yeah. academic. Now you put them on a machine that's like the space shuttle. Yeah. You know, that's, a, that's a barrier, isn't it? Yes and no. Um, the, the greatest barrier to entry is, is the cost of accreditation in the beginning. CPA, CPCS cards, NPORs, somebody's got to pay for that to get you in, a, get you in the seat. Once you're in the seat, then we need to figure out how good we can make you. And as I say, the, all the tools, all the driver aids, they're just tools that help. They, they don't make the bad driver good. They just help him do his job better than he did without them. But the key is to, is to pick the right guys, to get them in the seat, and to train them up to be the best that you can. On that subject, we, we, we ran this uh, demolition challenges survey back end of last year, and one of the key things that it highlighted was the fact that we've got a lot of operators, you know, our, our best operators yep. are at or be some in some cases beyond retirement age, and there's not a new wave. We've got the new kids on the block that are yeah. willing to take their place. <laughs> we're 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 there. We're 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 riding the crest of the wave where. If you like, the boomers are, they're retiring. And sadly, what we had at the time was uh, two, around 2008 with the financial crash. Um, that coincided with the loss of faith in the industry. It coincided with the rise of self-employment. It coincided with some people walking away from the industry because pay rates had been decimated or they'd already reached the point in, in their lives where I can go and stack shelves in Lidl, I can go and drive a van around and do something with Amazon or I don't need to be on site anymore. And the new generation hasn't had the training that they need. Big companies, big blue chips, they've got training programs coming out their ears. SMEs, not so much. Smaller companies, 50 people and under, where are their training programs? Ain't got none. Ain't got one. Just some of the groundworking firms. Here, mate, can you lean against a shovel? You'll do. Make up the numbers. That's not, that's not what it's all about. There's a lack of professionalism. It's not just in construction, not just in demolition. There are, I've seen it in, in lots of different trades. And sometimes it's just jobs for the boys. But we are, we are reaching a sort of a, a terminal velocity, if you like, with the fact that We've got a lot of guys that are in their 60s sitting in a seat and they're looking at they're looking at wages not not rising very quickly cost of living keeps rising against it they're looking at well you know i'm going to retire soon what's the point any excuse now for them is to walk away will the implementation of 
GPS, the, you know, the, the mandate of, of GPS on infrastructure projects, where lucrative, where previously civil engineering were, they were lucrative projects. You could make good money. It does it come to the point where they say, well, it's not for us anymore. Then where are we? We are at that point now where we need to really seriously look at the guys that we've got around us and say, oi, you know, somebody needs, somebody needs to stand up, but somebody's got to pay. And this is, where we, this is where we hit that, no, I need the guys, but I can't afford to pay. So we're, we're, we're just going to stumble along in the dark, as we always have done in this country. Which leads us very nicely into my next question, which was talking about NVQ poverty. You, as a self-employed, self-funded operator, you see up close and personal what an NVQ costs? Yes, I faced the, uh, I, I faced the, the poverty trap itself. I've stared it square in the eye, watching the money, you know, watching the watching the bank balance deplete as uh, as it's like, well, you know, here's uh, here's eight hundred and I think it was eight hundred and sixty five quid to go out for the red card, and plus I still had the uh, the touchscreen test that I had to pay for, as well as having to take half a day off work to go and drive into the middle of Portsmouth and pay for parking and then do a touchscreen test, which is all money, and then at the end of that you've got two years to then get yourself into gear to get the blue card and then that's another 900 quid and wow you know self-funded self-employed so there's no holiday pays no no sick pay so you can't you don't take time off you know you lose 21 days a year with the bank holidays and christmas and the rest on it what are you supposed to do how how are we supposed to afford to pay for all of this they say, oh, yeah, well, you're self-employed, you get a tax rebate. Oh, you're, you're self-employed, you know, you, you'll, be able to, you'll be able to claim that back. Yeah, I can, I can claim that back, but by the time I've claimed it back, it's not really for me, because by the time I've claimed it back and I've put it in the bank, maybe that covers the cost of Christmas, because I'm not working for two weeks this year, or next year it's like 10 days or something. That's a lot of time off, and I'm still not getting paid bank holidays times when people that are on the cards they get paid so I'm you know I'm I would like to see I would like to see companies with with guys that are self-employed I would like to see them offer a reward scheme for training I, I would like to see I would like to see also training providers I, this is something I thought about a little bit yesterday the training providers you've got a guy He's working for you, self-employed. Can he earn a credit as he works for you? Can there be a monthly credit that he can earn from the company to give to a training provider of his choice to pay his own way? Is this possible? Is it something? It's, it's an idea. I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just spitballing an idea because I was thinking about it yesterday. And is there something that companies can give as an incentive to the guys? Is there something that guys can, can take back that isn't cash money, but it would go towards an accreditation of some form, whether it be, whether it be a, a forward tip in dumper, whether it be for a roller, or whether it be for a, an, an excavator below 10 tonnes, 
you know, is there something that companies can give to an operator that isn't cash money, that they that is completely transferable with them to their next employment, that they can buy training with? This all runs deeper than that, though, doesn't it? Because you, you've got that situation. I mean, I don't know how long you've been on this job, per se, but you know, I mean, you, there are times when you're pretty much an employed person. You, you could spend Ooh. six months, a year, three years on a single job. But it, it's in the best interest, I guess, of the employer or the contractor you're working for to keep you off the books to save money on pensions and sick pay yeah. and that sort of stuff. That that's the Uber driver argument all over again, isn't it? Oh yeah, but you see, we've got nice, big, powerful lobbies, and this is this is where the lobbying groups say to the government, "Well, you know." Maybe we, you know, these council houses that you want us to build for you, maybe we, maybe we haven't got time for them. Maybe we're not going to give you as much help as you want. Maybe we won't build you adopted roads. Maybe we won't put adoptable sewer systems in there. Maybe we'll privatise our little enterprise so that it can't be sold off into, the, into public ownership. And this is where they have the power that says to the government, we're going to do what we want, and you're going to let us do what we want, because if you don't, well, we'll play hardball with you. And the government, being the cowardly government that it is, with corporations, they let them do what they want. We've got the CIS scheme, which says you're on a rolling contract, 90 days, deal with it. You're self-employed, self-employed sole trader, drop of a hat. I could get a phone call right now that says, yeah, yeah, sorry, Nigel, drop the van in the yard, mate. Ta-da. And that's the reality. That's what self-employed sole trader is. Drop the van in the yard, ta-da, don't need you no more. And, but that's the risk. That's why we're supposed to be paid better than everyone else. Not seeing that personally, because by the time you put overtime into it, sick pay, holiday pay, pension contributions, yeah, there's, it's, but no, but, so many companies are going down the road of agencies because they're guys exactly when they need them and supposed to be out of the box what they need when they need. Is that the case? Absolutely not. I, I, I can tell you stories that make your hair curl about agency drivers that have turned up. You know, the ticket's still got the ink fresh, you know, it's left a mark in his wallet, you know, it's, the ink's still dry, barely dry. What, what are you supposed to do with these guys? So we, we've touched on training and MVQs and all that sort of stuff. What do you make of the fact that we seem to have a card for everything? A lot of them seem to need renewing every fortnight. I don't like it. Um, I thought about this quite a lot. Um, I listened to um, I listened to the uh, I listened to the podcast there with um, the guy there from the um, NDTG. Uh, Howard Button. Howard Button, sorry, and um, CCDO, CPCS, NPORs, NVQs, what exactly are we going to do? Before we had, when, we, when it was administered by COTB, it was COTB created the CPCS, which was like the umbrella that we all operated from. It was the catch-all and it had good overlap that you could still move into every industry. Well, now it's CPCS is mainly aimed at construction. CCDO is aiming at demolition, dismantling. 
where are we seeing the, the splitting off? And if we are seeing the splitting off, are we going to see the pool of operators and available operators, skilled, trained, diminish even more? I think it's a bad move. I think there still needs to be a certain amount of overlap and one card system administered to both sides of the fence with specific categories that cover their specific entities. In, only in my opinion. But there's money to be made, isn't there? <sighs> Too much. It's, yeah, that's, that's what it comes down to. Boils down to money. Who wants to make the most amount of money? But is it good for the industry? Because we have to put the great to good theory here. You know, what's the great to good for the industry? Does it mean that the costs are going to go up? Does it mean that you know, demolition projects, you know, some of the demolition projects for HS2 can't go ahead because they're going to cost too much money. Doesn't mean the construction side suffers because of fatigue and lack of good operators because they just can't get training. They can't afford the training. And can it be that one before where you had one man who would work on construction, maybe go off and do some demolition, come back to construction, are we now going to over-specialise in industries by means of certification and, and accreditation. See, if you go and spay, uh, spend a lot of money on a CPCS card and you go and spend a load of money on GPS accreditation, you're not then going to want to go and spend a bucket load of money getting your CCTO card to go and do some demolition, are you? You'll, you'll be very, very well covered for work, but that's going to cost a fortune. I think it's a bad move. If you would like to help support this show, Demolition News or The Demolition Magazine, please consider becoming a patron. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash demolition news to find out more.